Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Welcome to this special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana. I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. I'm Christian Mater in Lafayette. Normally, we're the hosts of Out to Lunch in our respective cities. But during the course of the current public health crisis, we're joining forces from our home studios to bring you a statewide look at what's happening in the world of business and finance. At some point soon, we hope to go back hosting out to lunch around the lunch table. But for right now, Commander's Palace in New Orleans is closed, but you can have a wide range of ready-to-cook items shipped from Commander's Kitchen to yours anywhere nationwide. Information is at goldbelly.com. In Lafayette, our regular out-to-lunch restaurant, the French Press, is doing curbside takeout. You can get their regular menu items or a family dinner delivered through Waiter or Grubhub and directly from the restaurant, 337-233-9449. In Baton Rouge, our out-to-lunch restaurant, Mansers on the Boulevard, is open for pickup and delivery. You can order almost everything off their regular menu by calling 225-923-3366. For the past two months on Out to Lunch Louisiana, we focused exclusively on the impact of COVID-19 on the local and state economy. We've looked at education, tourism, the Federal Reserve, the oil and gas industry, the stock market, and much, much more. We'll go back to these issues and continue following the economic impact of the pandemic as it continues to evolve. But on today's Out to Lunch, we're taking a break from all that. As we look toward returning to some sort of normalcy, it's good to remind ourselves that there's life beyond the virus. Today, we're going to meet three people whose lives and businesses are refreshingly unrelated to the current crisis. Matthew Armstrong is the co-founder of Block Lawn Care. It's a tech-based approach to cutting grass, sort of like uh, Uber for yard work. Mary Margaret Camello was a Roman Catholic nun for 45 years before leaving the convent to become a transpersonal counselor and spiritual guide. Before we talk to Mary Margaret and Matthew, let me introduce you to a person who has the kind of job everybody wants. Drew Cambray is a professional coffee taster. Yes, you did hear that correctly. Drew Cambray is a professional coffee taster. Technically, Drew is coffee quality manager at the Dupuis Group, a global logistics company headquartered in New Orleans. Drew, welcome to Out to Lunch, Louisiana. Thank you for having me. Drew, this coffee tasting career of yours is not as crazy as it sounds. Coffee is the second largest commodity in the world behind oil. After what's been happening in the oil market over the last few weeks, it's probably safe to say that As of right now, coffee is the biggest commodity in international trade. I'm sure there's more to assessing the quality of coffee than taste, but let's start there. How much of your day is spent tasting coffee? Um, Well, I mean, obviously, uh, besides my normal cup of coffee every single morning, um, I would say I spend about half of my day um, going through the tasting process. Uh, You don't just normally uh, sip a coffee. You have to actually write notes and do some research and make sure that 
um, you're looking exactly for what the customer is looking for, and that way you can communicate with them properly. You know, I we've uh, started off by saying we wouldn't be bringing up COVID or such, but I wanted to know if that is in fact uh, affecting the the coffee business, and also another recent uh, issue was tariffs. Uh, is that having to play? Yes, it's actually affected uh, the coffee world quite a bit. Um, everything from uh, everything from the local coffee shops all the way to um, uh, the coffee producing countries. Um, uh, countries like Colombia right now are actually having a whole lot of problems getting the labor in to produce their coffee. So it's just kind of sitting in the port right now in Colombia waiting to come over. Drew, I know at wine tasters, for instance, can get degrees. Um, you know, it, what do you have to do to become a, a professional coffee taster? I mean, is there a certification process? Did you go to school for this or did you just fall into a really fun job? Um, a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, I uh, was in the coffee industry, started in the coffee industry in New Orleans right after Hurricane Katrina. Um, that was one of the first things that was kind of open was to uh, uh, work in a coffee shop. And I've kind of grown up my whole life drinking coffee all the way from drinking coffee milk that my grandmother um, made me. Uh, but um, after being a barista for well over 11 to 12 years, um, I kind of fell into the coffee tasting world, uh, worked with some green coffee importers. And uh, when I started working with a green coffee importer, uh, you had to actually go and take a week-long, extremely intensive process called a Q-grader. Um, stands for quality. Um, they have different uh, Q-graders for... Um, uh, for the Arabica, the specialty world, and then for the commercial world as well. Um, so basically that week-long process was tasting coffee over and over and over, and you have to do everything blind. So um, you have to be able to tell a roast profile blind. You have to be able to tell which uh, country of origin blind. You have to be able to tell if something is acidic, how acidic is it, how sweet it is, over and over and over. Um, at the end of that week, it my palate was completely and totally burnt. I just it was it was raw as could be. I couldn't taste a single thing. It was it was atrocious, but it was it was absolutely awesome. So so something I'm sort of curious about, right, is that you start talking about um, you know cupping, right, like the process of tasting and understanding the fineries of a particular bean and how earthy it is. And like, it does start to resemble wine tasting and the level of subtlety that they look for. But then I start thinking about like, this is Louisiana, which is famous for cafe au lait, right? Like you're going to take, you're going to take this fine, fragile artisan bean, and then you're going to dump 80% of the cups worth of milk in it. So I mean, have, have Louisianans tastes changed that much to the extent that like we actually can appreciate the finer things in coffee? Um, generally, you're not you're not seeing a whole big change in Louisianians' coffees uh, perception and their likes and dislikes. You still have the powerhouses. You still have uh, like community coffee, um, River Oak coffee. You still have people that are going to drink chicory every single day. Um, but you are seeing a very very strong uh, younger millennial gen. Z or whatever you're calling them these days, which are going towards the third wave coffee shops. Um, when I started off as a barista about 10 years ago, um, it was basically your coffee shop chains. And if you try to do anything outside of that box, you really didn't work out. We were doing some really insane, uh, fun, awesome third wave stuff about 
about eight, nine years ago, and it just we just weren't quite ready for it. But nowadays, you can go anywhere in New Orleans and Lafayette and Baton Rouge and see some absolutely phenomenal coffee shops. Drew, you're so calm. I, I assume you're actually on the decaf side of the... Uh equation. <laughs> you, you, mentioned, uh, uh, you mentioned the first, second, and third wave of coffee. I mean, the coffee I started out with, uh, this isn't quite as true in Louisiana, but it was pretty lousy. Um, how did this all come together? It was, and the first and second and third wave of coffee is just kind of a terminology that we throw on it. First wave of coffee was your standard coffee shop. Um, one that I kind of grew up going to was called the Coffee Bean over in Fat City. Um, and basically it was just coffee with surly baristas and maybe a stale croissant. Um, and uh, a lot of the, the poetry houses and stuff, it was basically just pot coffee and you just went in and you had coffee. The second wave was brought to you by Starbucks and that allowed, that brought gourmet coffee to a wider mass of people that said, you can have your coffee, you know, vanilla, half soy, half calf, 14 and a half Splendas. You can have it however you want. And being in the coffee world, you know, I really do appreciate what Starbucks brought to it. They basically made me have a job and, and able to, uh, uh, you know, feed my family. Um, and then the third wave is when the baristas who were doing that for over and over and over and pulling the same shot and just getting a little bit above mediocre coffee were like, wait a second, let's think about this. Let's figure out what can make it better. Let's go and take a look at the past and look in Italy and look in France and how do they do it? And then he started pulling in the science um, to, to really everything to make coffee taste better. Um, and now you're actually seeing uh, kind of a fourth wave of coffee, which is getting more of a direct trade, meeting the farmers, going over to Africa, going to Central and South America, meeting those people, handpicking beans yourself and teaching them how to make their coffee better before it even gets to you. Drew, tell us real quickly, I mean, how exactly your business works. Who hires you to taste their coffee? And um, I mean, do you work for the coffee people or do you work for the hospitality industry? Or? <laughs> so my current company is Dupuy. We are a storage and forwarding company. So we basically pick up the coffee from the ships on the port of New Orleans. We store it in a climate control warehouse and then, uh, we hold it until the coffee roasters are ready to take their coffee. So my main goal of my, the main goal of my job is to um, receive in the coffee once it, uh, get the coffee once it uh, comes in port, taste it, make sure that nothing happened on the way in between the trip from country of origin all the way to the port. All kind of crazy things can happen. The coffee can get infested with bugs. It can get um, uh, mold damage, mildew damage. It can get salty, all kind of craziness um, going on. So I basically just make sure that when that coffee arrives, it's exactly as the customer wants. Um, and that's kind of the main component of my job. Drew Cambry is a coffee expert. He's the coffee quality manager at Dupuy Group. Drew, thanks so much for joining us on Out to Lunch Louisiana. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, and it's, it's really good to talk about my job in, in this awesome coffee culture in New Orleans, which is so vast and so vibrant, and it, it's really good to talk about it instead of, you know, coronavirus and, and COVID-19. It's, it's great, and uh, I just absolutely love teaching people about coffee. 
You're listening to a special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana with Peter Raschuti in New Orleans, Christian Mater in Lafayette, and I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. Whenever somebody has a brilliant new idea for a business that's going to make everybody rich, they pitch it as a version of another brilliant idea that is supposed to make everybody rich, like Uber, say. But the fact is that even before this economic downturn, Uber was losing billions of dollars a year. But that doesn't stop entrepreneurs from coming up with concepts based on Uber's gig economy model. There's Hamper, an app that's the Uber of laundry. Bambino is the Uber of babysitting. And now from right here in Baton Rouge, there's Block Lawn Care, the Uber of grass cutting. The co-founder of Block Lawn Care is Matthew Armstrong. Matthew, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank y'all so much for having me. Matthew, I might be getting a bit ahead of your business plan calling Block Lawn Care the Uber of grass cutting. Right now, it seems to be more of a business management platform for existing lawn care companies, but it looks like you're developing the consumer side of the app. Are, are you pitching this as the Uber of lawn care or is it something else? Yeah, thanks for asking. We, we very much started off as the Uber of lawn care. We launched the company at the beginning of 2019 and quickly got thousands of registered users from all over the country. Uh, but we were, we had a controlled beta program here in Baton Rouge. That's where we launched it. And, and yeah, we started off as the Uber of lawn care and had some good success. But actually, as we continued to learn from our customers and from the mowers that we were actually hiring as our W2 employees to provide the service, we started realizing that there was a better way to deliver this value proposition of bringing technology to an antiquated industry. And so over the past few months, we've actually been developing this new product that we are pivoting towards, which is really a SaaS product, a software as a, a service product that is going to be used by owner operators in the lawn care space. It's gonna help them grow their top line and also uh, cut back on spending time on their back office. So we're really excited about it. What problem are, are you all solving? I mean, are you trying to get lawn care companies to people that need their grass cut more quickly? Are you trying to help the lawn care companies find business or just to be more efficient? Absolutely. You know, really, the, the, all, everyone who gets their grass cut by someone understands the pain points. They're having to slip cash or check under the doormat. It's hard time communicating uh, with their mower. It may or may not be infrequent. Um, and uh, yeah, invoices come infrequently. But what a lot of people don't know is that these issues are the result of the operational inefficiencies that plague our industry. Uh, every single one of these, you know, uh, single operators, solo operators, spends about 25% of their time doing tasks that are really for the back office that don't earn them any money, that pull them away from earning revenue. This can really cause a lot of issues whenever it gets busy. And we know that down here in Louisiana, the grass doesn't just grow, this stuff grows uh, and it is crazy. Uh, so whenever you throw on 80 hour weeks uh, and then they have to go home and run their business, it can get a little hectic. And so what we're doing is helping, uh, we've developed an app that helps them grow their top line and get more customers if they want to, but also it helps them streamline a lot of these back office tasks like invoicing and uh, route management and schedule management, a lot of those things that they spend a lot of time on uh, will now be able to be automated through this very simple app that's designed specifically for these owner operators. And we're the, we're the only one of our kind. 
So, so am I hearing that the, the, the advantage, say, on the two sides of this app, whether you're a consumer or a lawn service provider, is, is that it, it provides a conduit to actually connect people to a marketplace that really have before? I mean, I think about like, you know, I get a guy that comes to mow my lawn, I Venmo him the money. Right. And the way I found him was he mowed my mother's lawn. Right. Like, I mean, does this disrupt the sort of like word of mouth uh, reliance that we kind of had on how lawn care services work? And, and, and is that something that's really going to grow somebody's market opportunity in a real way? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. You know, we uh, we found that over 70 percent of all small lawn care operations grow their business primarily through word of mouth. We're not going to try to change that. We're trying to throw fuel on that. And so we, we release, we're about to release this app uh, for, the business, uh, for the, these operators who are cutting grass. And then we'll start working on the other side of that, which is what us, the, the consumer, the, the person who's getting their, their grass cut would get. And then that would allow them to manage their service between their, uh, you know, their operator and themselves, allowing them to really streamline how they take care of their home. Matthew, I've uh, done my homework on you a little bit, and I know you're a really altruistic guy. I mean, you started out just by trying to, uh, you know, mow lawns that are overgrown and maybe abandoned lots and such. Under yep. this model, do you think that when you look at this model a little bit longer term, can you make money? Can you make enough money to, to feed the family and get it going? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, pivoting from the, you know, the marketplace where we were actually providing the service towards a SaaS model is extremely scalable. It's a lot, it, it will be a lot easier to sell. And, and honestly, you know, the, the product that we are about to release is based off of all the learning that we, you know, got from last year. And so we feel really excited about this, this possibility. And we already have about 50 people on our waiting list before that haven't even seen a product that said that they know what it's going to do. And they're like, we want this. And so, yeah, we, we really believe that we're onto something. You know, there's 383,000 owner operators in America right now in the landscaping industry alone. We're eventually going after the millions of owner operators that are in other home service industries like plumbing and electrical and general handyman services and housekeeping. It really is a huge opportunity because we've tailored it specifically to those people's, those individuals. And Matthew, we have to be honest with people. You weren't just a guy mowing lawns. You're, you're an MBA from LSU, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> I am. did my undergrad at Baylor and got my MBA at LSU. Loved it. And uh, yeah, whenever I moved from, whenever I'm, I'm originally from Texas, but whenever I moved here and everyone kept giving me mess that I wasn't a real LSU fan, had to, had to put them shame, had to, had to tell them how it is when got my MBA. <laughs> Matthew, who developed your software? I mean, you have a team or have y'all hired out to do this? You piggyback on an existing product that you've then tailored for Black Lawn Care? Yeah, we, uh, we actually used a, a dev shop here in Baton Rouge um, called Elevator 3, and they helped us get, up, get our first set of apps up and running, which is what everyone in Baton Rouge, that's one of our paying customers, that's what they have interacted with. But since then, we actually brought on our own full-time developer who, is, uh, who has done the development for, our, um, for this new SaaS product. So, so Matthew, one thing I, I'm just curious about generally, right, is, is here in Lafayette, um, 
grass cutting is a major pain point for the government, right? Um, like, and I would imagine that's not unique in, in Lafayette. I mean, have you thought about what this would look like in terms of trying to connect contractors with institutional sized uh, clients like a local government or, you know, a property owner who's got, you know, oodles of lawns instead of just the one? Yeah, that's, that's a great opportunity. And, you know, really for us, uh, I think what we're focused on now is providing the tools for them to be able to do that with, you know, with this app that helps them manage their business, they would be able to go out and more easily manage that type of uh, incoming business. And if they wanted to pursue, uh, you know, city contracts, you know, I know that, uh, yeah, there's, there is plenty of work to be done in the form of, you know, overgrown lots and, and even just, you know, city owned properties that have to be regularly maintained. Uh, but yeah, we would be able to, uh, they would be able to do that with, you know, with, with this app. Matthew, before we wrap up, we just have a minute, but, but Drew had a good question. He wanted us to ask you, and will the 14 year olds and 15 year olds out there that, you know, cut grass on the, on the side on the weekends or in the summers to make money, will they be able to operate on your app? Yeah, the, the, uh, and again, you know, with a SaaS product, this would, this would be just like anyone purchasing. Uh, you know, software to help them manage their business. And so, especially for, you know, for a 14 year old or, you know, you know, any type of minor that's going to be cutting grass, even if they had a neighborhood, uh, neighborhood route, they would be able to manage all their invoices and receive payments through this app for work that they completed. So absolutely, you know, right now, there's not a lot of options for, uh, you know, for those, uh, you know, for younger kiddos who are, who are side hustling and, and making money and that's how a lot of them get into it. There's not really a good tool for them. And so we're proud that we're going to be the first to be able to offer them this perfectly tailored uh, solution for them. Great story. Matthew Armstrong is the co-founder of Block Lawn Care. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us today on Out to Lunch Louisiana. Really appreciate it. Thank y'all. You're listening to a special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana with Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge, Peter Raschuti in New Orleans, and I'm Christian Mater in Lafayette. Whatever you do, however successful you are, it's human nature to want to do better, to have a better job, a better house, a better car. But at the same time, even the materialists among us would probably say we'd like to be better people. To better ourselves in a non-material sense, we might go down one of two often diverging paths, therapy on the one hand, perhaps, or spirituality on the other. Mary Margaret Kamalo doesn't believe you have to make that choice. She is a transpersonal psychotherapist who practices an approach to mental and spiritual health called psychosynthesis. Mary Margaret, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. It's my delight to be here. Mary Margaret, we might think of mental health as having, let's say, short-term goals, right? Or, or at least prescriptive ones, like getting over depression. Uh, and spiritual growth as being maybe a lifetime journey. Um, how do you balance those things together in your work? Well, I think the important thing to remember is uh, we really must have a very healthy ego that is going to take us through life. And as we develop a healthy ego, automatically we begin to reap the benefits of our soul. And when we can start living from a soul level with a healthy ego, then life really becomes much easier and much happier. What does a healthy ego look like? I'm not sure that that's gonna be obvious to everyone. 
well, uh, the parts of us that can do whatever we need to do in life, the parts of us that can show up for work, the parts of us that can organize a business, the parts of us that can love family, those parts of us are parts of a healthy ego. So we wanna be able to integrate the parts rather than having them operate on their own. And we, when we can integrate them and bring in spirituality, life really, really becomes a joy. You know, I know this is gonna sound like an odd question, but has the pandemic been good for business? I know this. I mean, I remember after 9-11, there was you know, so many people that either returned to church or started going to therapy, trying to rethink their, uh, their lives. Uh, has that happened? I want to say a resounding yes to that. Because people right now want authenticity. They want to be able to be who they really are. Uh, they want to be able to uh, come from love and to experience the oneness that we all are. I have uh, three ongoing Zoom groups right now that are just highly successful, simply because people are looking for a different path and a deeper path. I think, I think we're tired of that old normal and we really truly wanna create new lives for ourselves. That's what I'm seeing. Mary Margaret, how do you integrate the, the spiritual side of this? Religion, is history, think about it. Think about the religions that have their history. I don't deal with that at all. I really deal with what is the very best that you can be walking on this earth? What is your soul's bright shining light that you can bring to others? And when you do that, um, you really, we really can't ask for anything else. You know, what, what is the particular love that we have to bring to the world and what is the particular light that we have to bring to the world? That's really what I focus on. I, I'm really curious just to kind of hear how this works in practice. I mean, I, I, I have family that do social work, right? And this stuff can feel very, um, you know, very detailed and it's sort of like personal histories, those kinds of things. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about my mother-in-law's got a, a a refrigerator magnet that says my therapist told me it's all your fault, right? Like that there's this kind of idea that we have on how therapy ought to work, but I'm curious how therapy works in your world. It's kind of in a, in a practical terms. Like walk me through a session a little bit. So when someone comes in with a particular issue, that issue that they come in with is generally not the issue. There's something underlying that. And What's underlying that is the patterns that we have brought from childhood. We, we learn to live out of these patterns to survive. They're not good or bad or right or wrong. They're simply our survival mechanism. So how can we look at the original um, pattern that was built long ago to help us to survive? And how can we heal that part of us so that we no longer have to repeat that particular pattern? And when we do that, automatically the soul's energies begin to come in. So, so this feels, in terms of its theory, very much rooted in psychoanalysis rather than, say, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that. No, no. What I do is depth psych psychotherapy. Depth psychotherapy. And, and I like to call it hype spirituality. 
type spirituality? Well, you know, like, like a mystical spirituality or it's the spirituality of the soul. How can our soul truly be what we live out of? The way I like to say it is when we come into this world as a newborn, we're coming in whole. And then what happens is, because it has to happen, we fragment in order to protect ourselves. We have parts of us that maybe want to please other people. We have parts of us that push us in life to do better. We have parts of us that are deeply loyal. So these parts of us, how can we simply investigate them, uh, look at their magnificent qualities, look at maybe some qualities that don't work, and then how can we move back into integration? It's all about integration of ourselves psychologically and spiritually. It's a, a simple process. I'm not saying it's easy. It's simple and it's magnificent. I've, I've been at this now for about 45 years uh, and really have just seen miracles happen. Really miracles happen. I mean, how do you monetize this? I mean, do you charge like a, like a traditional therapist would or a psychologist say, um, and, and does insurance cover it as it would say mental health counseling? No, I do have a fee and insurance does not cover it. And I will absolutely do a sliding scale for those that need it. Mary Margaret, um, this is Peter. Uh, I have a question that I think maybe some uh, listeners are thinking too. You were a nun for 45 years. Does one retire? From being a nun? Well, I wouldn't call it retiring. Uh, about 20 years ago, I decided to leave the order. I belong to the Marianites of Holy Cross, uh, which are based in uh, New Orleans here. Originally, we're based in France. A magnificent group of women who are highly educated, magnificently cultured. Um, I'm still good friends with so many of them. It just was time for me to leave. It just people say, "Why did you leave?" And I just say, "Because it was time." So, you know, lastly, I'm curious. You know, I think about I've been through therapy myself, right? And and there's there's a moment where you feel like I've resolved X, Y, or Z. I mean, but this doesn't feel like something that a person ever reaches an endpoint. I mean, is there a um, is there a point at which somebody leaves your door and says, "You know what? I'm I'm ready to sever this relationship," or is this you know, part and parcel of, you know, life's journey. No, no, that absolutely happens. And at the same time, what we may become is limitless because our soul's energies are limitless. So I simply encourage them to remember that, that they can move on really, truly by themselves. Uh, they can truly uh, walk that path of healthy psychology and beautiful spirituality. And, and become their limitless potential. I mean, think about that. You know, what we may become is limitless. That's always been amazing to me. Mary Margaret Camalo is a transpersonal psychotherapist and owner of Soulful Empowerment. Mary Margaret, thank you so much for joining us in Out to Lunch, Louisiana. Thank you. 
And thank you for joining us for this special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana. We edited these conversations to fit into the time slot here on your NPR station. You can hear longer versions of these conversations wherever you normally get your Out to Lunch podcast. If you're not an Out to Lunch podcast subscriber, search for Out to Lunch, Out to Lunch Baton Rouge, or Out to Lunch Acadiana on your podcast app. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical director is Eric Merle. Photos from this show on our website and social media are taken by Jill LaFleur. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. And I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. Special assistance for this week's show came from New Orleans military and maritime graduates, Alex and Zach Raybar. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you back here next week for more Out to Lunch, Louisiana. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.